Political Thoughts with Steve is brought to you by Anchor. Go to anchor.fm today to start your free podcast or download the Anchor app from all major app stores. And welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. I'm your host, Stephen Murphy, and welcome, welcome, welcome to all of our fellow political nerds out there in podcast world, and welcome to all of our non-political nerds out there in podcast world. Just welcome to arguably, doubtfully, maybe the greatest independent political podcast on the face of the planet. So this week's episode is going to be pretty cool. We are going to be talking about what's going on in Congress right now. As everyone knows, the government shutdown is temporarily over right now. We have about 13 days before the continuing resolution ends and we could be forced into another shutdown. So we're going to be talking about what Congress is going to be doing within the next 13 days to get our government running and continue to have it running. And also some really cool things that has came out of the House of Representatives this week. We're going to be talking about all these things that the committees are going to be working on to get rid of Donald Trump, pretty much. Um, there's a lot of uh, hearings that's going to be happening um, this week to look into the Russia investigation, to any money laundering that has went on. There's a lot of hearings going on with a lot of key players in the Trump administration. So we're going to be talking about that. Also, we are about less than three days away from the State of the Union. So we will be talking about the State of the Union address, what to expect in that historical address on Tuesday night, what kind of rebuttals we're going to be looking at, who's going to be delivering the rebuttal. We're going to be talking about that. Also, this week in Trump, we're going to be talking about why has he been playing golf and saying that, you know, this is his executive time. I mean, I could understand that, you know, sometimes we need some time off, but the dude has been taking a lot of time off. I mean, you know, I used to say this about Obama when he was president that, you know, maybe he needs to limit some of his time, you know, on the golf course and, you know, get back in the office. But this guy has definitely been taking some uh, time off. So we're going to be talking about that. And of course, final thoughts with Steve this week, we are going to piggyback on what we talked about last week involving racism. I mean, this is now we are in February. So this is, uh, of course, Black History Month. We're going to be talking about ending racism completely. What do we need to do to finally end racism? It's going to be an exciting show. I hope everyone is ready. So sit back, relax. Get yourself a cold drink. I've got my glass of whiskey right beside me. I've already put $100 in the swear jar. We are ready to go. We are ready to rock and roll. Welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. And welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve, segment one. We are going to be talking about what's going on right now 
in the House of Representatives, as everybody knows. And if you do not know, I don't know what planet you live on. I know that we are streaming to every single podcast platform there is, and maybe through the satellites, maybe you're an alien and you just picked our show up. And if you have, welcome. Um, but anyways, everyone knows that the Democrats took over the House of Representatives in November. Now, there was a lot of campaign promises during last year's campaign season, um, you know, with impeachment and all these insight committees that's going to be opening up. What is an insight committee? We're going to be talking about that on this segment. Um, you know, just all these things that Democrats want to do in the House of Representatives to, you know, pretty much jumpstart the 2020 general election uh, season. So, you know, what have they been up to? I mean, you know, we are one week into this continuing resolution. Right now, we have about 13 days left until that CR is, you know, said and done. And we could be facing another, another government shutdown. I mean, we literally just did three weeks of, or I'm sorry, four week segments of this government shutdown. We may have to do a couple of revisions. I mean, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting tired of talking about the government shutdown because this is happening way too often in American history. It seems like every single year we hear about a government shutdown, increasing the debt ceiling, how much debt that we're in right now. I mean, there's just so much that happens in a year. And it seems like to me, I don't know about any of y'all, but it seems to me that every single year, our cycle of information is just being recycled. We're always talking about shutdowns and debt ceilings and furloughs. I, I didn't even know what a furlough was until about three or four years ago when we went into a furlough with President Obama. That was like a new word in my vocabulary. And I was just starting out as an undergrad student in political sciences. So I'm just saying that. It's like the circle of life in politics. So let's talk about what Democrats are up to this week. So after a 35-day government shutdown that consumed every single congressional leader and their districts, Democrats have held a series of hearings this week that define a new normal in Washington. The Trump administration is now in the hot seat. Sometimes I wish that we had like one of those like clapping machines because, you know, it, it's getting it's getting you know, really deep now when it comes to all this political drama that's going to be unfolding within the next 12 months. Um, empowered with their new majority and already facing roadblocks from key players in the Trump administration and in the Republican Party, committee leaders are moving ahead with the spotlight of some of the president's most controversial policies and associates in a marathon not expected to end for the next two years. So after Trump delivers the State of the Union on Tuesday, an address intended to temporarily unite the country, <clears throat> you're right, um, Democrats will gavel all of these uh, committee hearings. You will, you know, you're going to be talking about on um, February you're going to hear a family separation policy along the southern border um, probing into why President Trump needs to release his tax returns. Um, 
We're going to be talking about Matt Whitaker, or we're going to be hearing from Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general of the United States, who has alarmed Democrats with his posture towards special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. And the week will end with a closed-door hearing. I hate those. I really do hate closed-door hearings because you can never, ever know what's going on unless, it's, you know, everyone's luck is someone leaks some information out of that closed-door hearing. But there'll be a closed-door hearing in the House Intelligence Committee where the president's former law- lawyer and longtime fixer, Michael Cohen, and there are questions still surrounding whether Cohen will also appear in an open setting before the House Oversight Committee. So Cohen will be on um, trial on Congress. And by trial, I mean he's going to be in a hearing. We're going to, you know, there's a lot of you, the worst thing about having ADD is you start talking about something and then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of veer off the conversation a little bit. So I apologize to all my listeners. And, you know, if you've been with me since the very beginning, you're used to this. Um, But it seems to me that when it comes to everything that's happening with the Trump administration as of late, um, you know, there's always that talk about impeachment. And, you know, throw his ass in jail. Just go ahead and throw him in jail. Well, and here's some education for everybody who doesn't understand the political process. All right, so Andrew Jackson was impeached by the House of Representatives. He was not impeached by the U.S. Senate. Bill Clinton was impeached by the House of Representatives. He was not impeached by the U.S. Senate. If you do not have the Senate impeach you, you will be acquitted of it. You may be censured in the house, which is basically a slap on the wrist. And, you know, they're saying, you know, don't ever do that again. We're putting a note in your permanent record, but you're not impeached. You're still president. And also an impeachment trial is not a trial of law. Let's make that perfectly clear. Yes. You are on trial. You have articles of impeachment that are presented to you. However, if you're found guilty of that in the Senate and say you are impeached, you are not automatically thrown into jail. The Department of Defense would have to formally charge you. You would have to go through the entire judicial proceedings with court cases and appeals and you know you may win your court case you may lose and go to prison but when we're talking about impeachment it does not guarantee that the person in question that could be impeached is going directly to jail so don't you know it's exciting to know that you know a guy that has been despised for pretty much all of his life i mean i never liked this guy yeah, I saw him in Home Alone 2 when I was a kid. I saw him in Little Rascals, but that was about it. I didn't even, you know, fully started looking into Donald Trump and start researching Donald Trump until, you know, I was in college and especially during the 2016 general election, you know, I was starting to write a lot of papers on Donald Trump and, you know, I had that mindset, you know, there's no way this freaking idiot can win. I had that mindset. I'm the first to admit I had that mindset. And at the end of election night, I was just completely flabbergasted and I was pissed because the Democrats lost it. The Democrats lost it. 
and I was pissed at the Democrats for allowing this to happen. But the next day it was time. It was time to get your head in the game. It was time to start looking into the future when it comes to politics and, you know, the parties that you're with. So, but back on, you know, back on the topic I was talking about, just because there is impeachment talks and, you know, highly probably there's going to be articles of impeachment. Don't get too excited. Yes, Democrats have the House, but they do not have the Senate. That is the problem. All of the power still relies in the Senate. And last time I checked, Senate Senator Turtle Mitch McConnell is still the Senate Majority Leader. So don't get too excited, but, you know, just take a deep breath because a lot of shit is about to go down. But the long list of hearings is just a sampling of the scrutiny the Trump administration will face over the next two years, testing not just the president, but his cabinet. The, the Republican majority was willing to give the president the benefit of the doubt, and we are not going to be waiting for it. We're not going to be waiting for it to work out. If kids are going to be taken from their parents at the border, we are going to be immediately investigating it. This comes from Representative Diana DeGate the chair of the Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Investigations. She also went on to say, it says we are not afraid to exercise our Article One prerogative of oversight of the executive branch. It's taken Democrats weeks to put their committees together, an always lengthy process that was delayed slightly by the pressures of the government shutdown. However, the chairman of this committee and most chairmen of the other committees are vowing not to let any more drama of the spending crisis permanently keep them from doing their jobs. We'll see. We will see about that. Already, Democrats have sent dozens of letters demanding documents from the administration. And this previous week, Democrats on the oversight uh, committee... They sent letters to the Secretary of the Treasury seeking to know why the administration rolled back sanctions on three Russia firms tied to billionaire Oleg Deripaska. I murdered that name. Sue me. So there is a lot of shit going on right now within Congress. And the next, probably about the next three or four months, I, I want you to just Put some money on this. In the next three, four months, you're going to be hearing the words collusion, impeachment, uh, degradation of duty. You're going to be hearing, you know, the the um, hypotheticals of what ifs. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to put it out there to everyone. The president of the United States is a crook. The president of the United States has dishonored the office in which he sits in. I mean, this is an office that I personally have admired since I was a little kid, since I, you know, started, you know, watching the news and, you know, following up on, you know, all these people in suits that went to work for the government and this guy who lived in this big white house 
this is an office that, you know, I've come to actually respect. And, you know, maybe the military kind of changed me because, you know, I had a commander in chief. Um, I've met my I met my former commander in chief, actually both of them. Um, but I had a lot of I have a lot of respect for the office of the presidency. And obviously this douchebag that right now is president, he has absolutely no respect for this office. And it makes us look very, very bad. If you think that right now the United Kingdom is looking bad because Theresa May cannot strike a deal on Brexit. If you think that's bad, look what the hell is going on in the United States right now, everybody. I mean, we have an investigation that seems to be taking a long time. Now, you know, I've never spoken negatively about this investigation. I want this investigation to be thorough. However, I'm ready to know the results of this investigation. I'm sure everyone out there is ready too. So, with the investigation, with you know the collusion that has pretty much been proven, with everything happening right now in the news, it's a question of not if he's going to be impeached, it's just the question of when all this is going to go down. And I'm hoping that he does it pretty soon. I'm hoping that Robert Mueller releases this investigation soon because, you know, before you know it, we're going to be in the primaries. And before you know it, we're going to be in the general election. And I don't know about Y'all, I know that I do have some Republican friends that still listen to me and why they listen to me. I have no idea because, you know, this is not a Republican friendly podcast. Um, But Republicans are in trouble. Now, I've released a couple of podcast episodes that, you know, detail what I would do if I was a Republican. If you haven't heard them, just I think it's about three or four weeks ago, right before the um actually about five before the government shutdown happened, I released one. Um, listen to the one that says the death of the GOP. Listen to that podcast episode; it'll get you all caught up, um, with what's going on right now and what Republicans should do to be able to get their party back. I mean, I I really wish I could do a show with my brother because him and I had this great conversation the other night after we were playing chess. I mean, yeah, total nerd alert, but him and I were playing chess. He was kicking my ass. I think I kicked his ass once in the game. And, you know, we were talking politics afterwards. We were talking, you know, just stuff because that's just what he and I, that is just what we do. We, you know, talk about everything. And, um, him and I were talking about Brexit. We were talking about, um, you know, what's going on right now in American politics. We were talking about Greece. We were talking about world politics in general. And, you know, it's a really cool, it was a really cool discussion. I actually enjoyed that discussion because there was just so much that we talked about in that short period of time. Um, but... I'm starting to believe him when he says that our country is going to hell in a handbasket. I am really starting to believe him on this because every single day is something new. And as long as we have this maniac still in the Oval Office, 
I mean, I'm expecting any day for a war to break out somewhere. So there's a lot of things going on right now in the House of Representatives. There's a lot of committees that's going to be meeting next week to talk about all this stuff that's going on within the Trump administration. Um, there's just a lot of things going on right now. And also, while we're still on this segment, we may... How are we doing on time? We're still doing good? Um, while we're still on this segment, let's talk about what's going on right now with the Democrats in the election. I mean, right now we have a couple of people who have announced. Uh, Cory Booker announced. Um, you know, of course, we have Kamala Harris. We have Elizabeth Warren. Um, we have, I think he's either the governor of Indiana or a mayor of a town in Indiana. He is the first openly gay candidate to put his name in for a presidential race. I mean, there is a, you know, the field is, the field is uh, starting to, um, it's starting to, uh, you know, start coming together. I mean, right now we're, we're waiting on um, a couple of more people to throw their names in the hat, like uh, Vice President Joe Biden. I'm ready for him. Um, I'm ready for Bernie Sanders to announce. Um, maybe Beto O'Rourke, who knows with him. But right now, um, Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, has put his name out there. Now, I'm pretty sure there's going to be one person out there that probably hates Howard Schultz, and she know she knows who she is. Her former boss has announced that he's going to run for president. Um, which, if you uh, if you watch Bill Maher tonight, um, he was uh, he had a pretty good. Um, I think it was a. It's like his last segment of his regular show. Uh, I think it's called um. Uh, new rules. I think that's his final segment. He was talking about Howard Schultz. And he was like, "Congratulations, you did a thing. You invented something. You found something that you know people could relate to. You know, white people love coffee. Awesome. You made billions of dollars into that. But I think we've learned that just because you have billions of dollars doesn't mean that you'd make a great president. And I totally agreed with Bill Maher on that." Totally agree. I think that when it comes to being president, I think being a congressman or a senator or maybe a secretary of state, I think you need experience in the political field because without that experience, you're going to end up in the same shit that we're in right now. Now, all these you know new and upcoming people that have been elected last year who's just coming in, you know, let's have AOC, you know, announce for her to run for president. No, she's not ready yet. A lot of these young people who are just in the house, who was just elected to the house and said, they're not ready for a big race like this. You need to get your feet dirty. You need to, you know, understand how this political chess game works because before you do that, or if you don't do that, you're not going to know anything. We're going to be, back into the same situation that we are in right now. So, 
the race is starting to shape up. They're saying that this could be the largest uh, Democrat primary we've ever had. I'm very excited. I don't know about y'all, but I am very, very excited to see what's going to be coming out of the Democrat primaries starting what later this year into early next year before the conventions. I am ready for Joe Biden to announce that he's running. I'm ready for Bernie Sanders to announce that he's running. And don't get me started on these Bernie haters, because I swear to God, the same people that hate Bernie today were the same ones who loved Bernie three years ago. So don't even get me started on the Bernie haters right now. But it's shaping up to be a pretty exciting race. We'll be right back. And welcome back. So this segment, we are going to be talking about the State of the Union address. What is the State of the Union for 20, 2018 and 2019? That is a great question. What is the State of the Union address going to talk about um, on Tuesday night? So normally during a State of the Union address, when the president is delivering it, you always hear the words, the state of our union is strong. We have a very state of the we have a very strong state of the union. I beg to differ. I think the state of our union is in trouble right now. So what exactly will we be listening for during the state of the union dress on Tuesday? Um, well, there's gonna be a lot of topics. Now the purpose of the state of the union address, is to outline the president's agenda for the year. Kind of like when you hear about like the Queen's speech that she delivers in front of the um, House of Lords in Great Britain. It's a detail of what the agenda is going to look like for the year. And we're going to be hearing a lot of things about, you know, with probably the government shutdown. Um, we're probably going to be hearing about guns. Um, I think he's going to be talking about ISIS that he quote unquote defeated ISIS, which turned out to be a complete flaw. Um, we're going to be talking about, uh, immigration and border security. Um, probably, um, the economy, police officers. I mean, it's, it's a Republicans, um, State of the Union address. There is so much. There's just so much to um to be looking forward to. So after the drama, bitter fights, and a cancellation, the State of the Union address is almost here, everybody. President Donald Trump is scheduled to give his State of the Union address before Congress, the Supreme Court, and members of his cabinet on Tuesday night. The address was initially scheduled during the government shutdown, a shutdown that lasted for Jesus Christ. I can't believe we're still talking about this 35 days that become that became the longest in U.S. history. Um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. It was Nancy Pelosi saying, you know, I don't think you should give it. In return, Trump said, oh, yeah, well, I'm taking your airplanes and you know, screw your trip to Afghanistan. I mean, there was just a lot of uh, a lot of drama going on just for the State of the Union address during the shutdown. So after 35 days, Trump announced 
on January 25th to end the shutdown. Um, his uh, speech is uh, plopped in the middle of that three-week window, leaving it likely to be a theme of this address when it comes to the government shutdown. There's going to be a lot of blaming going on. I mean, I always say that when it comes to Trump and Congress, it's like a huge wrestling match about to happen. It's like the build-up before WrestleMania. You know, we're getting ready for the contenders to go head-to-head -head for the championship. And this is exactly what's happening right now in Congress. You have the President of the United States versus the House of Representatives, the President versus the Speaker, a Speaker that has shown more balls over the last month than she did when she was Speaker the first time during the Bush administration into the Obama administration. Now, as we know, if that deal is not made between Republicans and Democrats by February 15th, we are going back into a shutdown. However, while President Orange Peel is giving his address, my, my thoughts, and I'm going to be watching especially the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, she is seated right behind Trump, right beside the Vice President. Um, she's been sparring with Trump for weeks over the government shutdown and refused to give him $5.7 billion for this stupid fucking border wall that will never happen. But on Tuesday, she'll look on as Trump delivers a speech with many themes that are probably going to annoy the piss out of her. Just, I'm just ready for, if, you, if you're a political nerd like me, I have watched every single State of the Union address since Bill Clinton's first State of the Union address when he was going into his second term. That's why I actually started, you know, wanting to watch this shit. And what I've noticed, and if, you know, if you want to, I'd say, you know, go on YouTube and just pull it up. You'll notice that during speeches, the camera pans out to the crowd of U.S. elected representatives, and they have this tendency of making faces during specific parts of the speech. Now, several associates of both the speaker and the president have said that the president appeared to have misread the speaker and misunderestimated her in their shutdown fight over the wall and his willingness to stand or her willingness to stand firm against his demands. Now, their dispute over the last couple of weeks led to a back and forth just punch and shove, push and shove. Um, you know, it was one bad thing to another, but you know what? She stood her ground. She, she, yeah, she definitely uh, stood her ground during the shutdown and everything. And um, it's like a, uh, it's like a Chuck Schumer said, no one should ever underestimate the Speaker of the House. And he's pretty sure that Donald Trump kind of learned that lesson. Now, another thing that's going to be talked about is going to be, of course, immigration border security. Um, he is likely to use his address to make another bid for his border wall, um, hoping to bring the nation together in support of the measure that Democrats, they are standing firm on this. They have vowed to block this measure by any means necessary. Now, the president has made offers, including three years of protections for some undocumented immigrants, including the Dreamers who were brought to the United States as children. But he, here's my opinion on that. 
during his campaign, he always talked about how bad dreamers were, how they were leeches on society, that they should not get any special privileges just because they were kids who were brought into the country illegally when they were kids. Now, many of these dreamers are grown now. All they have known is the United States. All they have known is you work your ass off and you'll achieve anything that you put your mind to. Now, I'm sure that they miss their families, you know, in Latin America and in Mexico. But all they know is this. They have, you know, given to our society. Some of them are our doctors, our lawyers, perhaps our teachers, um, people who work in public service. But that's all they know. But Trump has been dangling this, you know, you give me my wall, I will give them, you know, temporary protections for three years. My opinion is these kids that have been brought into the United States illegally, that have been here for 20, 25 years. First of all, it's a damn shame that they're not U.S. citizens yet. And that, you know, goes to show how broken our immigration system is. I mean, can you imagine coming from a country, you're escaping this country because the economy has went to complete shit. The gangs and drug lords run your country. Your government is so corrupted, it makes the United States look like, you know, you know, a Disney World government. Well, that was kind of corny, but I mean, can you just imagine coming to this country, escaping that, and having to live in fear for most of your life, knowing that? You know, you're working in our country, you're contributing to our society, you have put your papers in to become U.S. citizens, but nothing has happened. And here it is, 20 years later, you are a tax-paying citizen that has possibly went to college. You are busting your ass every day, and you're still not a legalized citizen of the United States. That goes to show how broken... Our immigration, um, our immigration policy is, and we have a lot of work to do to fix immigration. Another thing he'll be talking about is the economy. Trump frequently touts that U.S. economy growth and low unemployment rates as a central accomplishment of his administration. Let me let me uh, give you a small little history lesson. When President Obama became president. When he inherited that job, we had, I think, around a six or seven percent unemployment rate. We are we were so close to a depression. It wasn't even close to being funny. And. He went straight to work. Now, is the economy perfect? No, but is it better than what it was when Obama became president? Absolutely. There was, there's been more job creation during his eight years than there was in the previous administration's eight years. Unemployment dropped, I think, from 8% all the way down to 4.2% in those eight years. That is a huge accomplishment. In fact, there's a lot of cities in the country that un, the unemployment rate is actually less than 1%, which is freaking awesome. 
Um, I know where I live, our I think our current unemployment rate is around three or f- about three percent, um, which isn't good at all. I I'm a strong um, advocate when it comes to zero percent unemployment. I think everybody needs to be working. Um, but I also understand that in a lot of cities, it's hard to get jobs, and sometimes you have to leave your homes to be able to go find the jobs that you have trained your ass off for and inquired all this debt with college loans. So, you know, I fully understand how it is. I am currently in that situation right now. Um, in the third quarter of 2018, the gross domestic product increased 3.4% according to the Bureau of Economic Analysts. You can uh, look that up and read that report. Um, but those accomplishments did feel the effects of the government shutdown. The Congressional Budget Office or the CBO announced the end of the shutdown that it wiped out $11 billion in economic activity. So the cost of this shutdown was $11 billion and 800,000 people weren't losing their jobs temporarily. But that's 800,000 people that was either not working or working for free, which is a, that is just terrible and $11 billion. So next time someone asked you, well, the, the shutdown didn't do anything. Remember $11 billion in economic activity. If they deny you, just throw some, just throw some sources out. You can, it, the cool thing is I have an iPhone beside me. If I need information, I can go directly to it. And 800,000 people. That was, uh, that, was currently, you know, out of a job. So what's next on Trump's agenda? The State of the Union address is written in the Constitution as a way for the president to inform Congress of the state of the country and what the agenda holds for that year. While immigration is a well-known issue that Trump seeks to reform during his time in office, his address is likely to touch on a variety of other issues from the fight against ISIS you know, that that fight that he has claimed that we have won, even though we have not. We are still battling ISIS throughout the Middle East right now. And his work reforming the judicial system with a large number of conservative judges. What does that mean, reforming the judicial system? There's still people being put in jail right now for asinine, petty, you know, misdemeanors like, you know, selling pot, you know, on the side of the street. Oh, well, you get 20 years. I think we still live in this we still live in the age where, you know, private corporations are now taking full control of our prison systems. I am, I'm about a hundred percent convinced on that. I've seen a lot of, um, reports and a lot of, uh, uh, peer articles from different universities of students doing all these studies when it comes to for-profit prison systems in the United States. So I'm trying to figure out what this reform for the judicial system is, because right now there's a lot of people that are serving large time, you know, large sentences, hefty sentences in jail. There's still people serving that that don't deserve to be serving those, you know, asinine sentences. And, you know, a lot of that could go to um, mandatory minimums. That is something that we haven't really talked about on our podcast, but that's something that I talked about when I was in college. That's, you know, something that I've talked about with a lot of my um, friends that I graduated college from, you know, the problems with mandatory minimums. In fact, I think we're going to actually do a segment coming up and, you know, do some history on mandatory minimums and, you know, get you guys, you know, educated on what's going on right now within 
the judicial branch and what mandatory minimums means. So he's going to be, quote unquote, reforming the judicial system. Uh, last week, a senior administration official told reporters that the speech will have five themes, immigration, trade, including trade deals with China, and the renegotiated deals with Canada and Mexico to replace NAFTA, which is a huge mistake. They're going to be talking about infrastructure, something that both Democrats and Republicans have said could be done in a bipartisan fashion. Healthcare and lowering the prescription drugs. Um, I have a problem with that. I think it's time to go to a Medicare for all system. Um which is another good segment that we should definitely use. We should definitely talk about Medicare for all and the benefits, you know, the pros and cons of Medicare for all. Because when we talk about our broken healthcare system, you know, lowering of prescription drugs. So what, they're going to lower it from $1,000 a pill down to $500 per pill, which is still going to bankrupt families that are, you know, still suffering from medical conditions. I mean, I have a mom that's suffering from cancer. Her chemo treatment right now is around two to three grand per pill. Thank God for health insurance, but you know what? We do pay a lot out of pocket for that. I have friends of mine. I have one that just went through, um, had, uh, had surgery on her back and had, uh, an implant put in to help with a medical condition of hers. Um, you know, she's talked about how terrible the healthcare situation is right now in Tennessee. There is just, a lot of shit going on right now in the healthcare system. And I strongly believe one of the permanent fixes of that would be to have a Medicare for all system. So we're going to do a segment on Medicare for all within the next couple of weeks. Um, and we're also going to be talking about international relations, which has been going crazy. I mean, I don't know if any of y'all have heard, but president Trump, um, got out of the INF treaty. We're going to be talking about that in the next segment. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of crap going on now with, um, with international relations. Um, also a, uh, report from Politico that, uh, came out, uh, yesterday, um, or on, uh, yeah, yesterday said that the president, was also looking to include the issue of abortion into his speech. Ho <laughs> ho! That's going to be kind of crazy, don't you think? A Republican talking about abortion. Jeezy crazy, everybody. Um, a topic that has riled up Republicans due to a democratically late, led late-term abortion bill in Virginia and New York. In New York, Governor Cuomo signed a measure last month that allowed a woman to have an abortion even after 24 weeks into pregnancy, all at the discretion of a health care practitioner. So, you know, we have that going on right now. And also, as many of y'all political nerds out there know, that the thing that I like watching the most after the address is the rebuttals. So... Stacey Abrams, which was the uh, gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, she should have been the she should be the governor of Georgia. Um, she is going to lead the Democratic response right after the State of the Union address and right after Stacey Abrams. Uh, Bernie Sanders is going to have his rebuttal to the State of the Union address. So, you know, there is a lot to uh, look forward to in this State of the Union address. But during this 
State of the Union address, just don't let your blood pressure go up too big. You know, many of you probably will not be watching it. I released a, um, I think I released a blog or something today uh, talking about, you know, why many Americans will not be watching the State of the Union address. Um, but, you know, I want to know if any of y'all are. Um, the cool thing about this podcast is if you go to Anchor or if you have the Anchor app, you can actually call into the show and actually give opinions on on the issues and everything during the podcast. So if any of y'all have the Anchor app, which I encourage all of y'all to download, um, call into our podcast and tell me, you know, are y'all planning on watching the State of the Union dress? If not, why? If you are, what things are you looking for in the State of the Union dress is a huge Huge address is something that we all should be watching because we need to know what our government is going to be doing in the next 12 months. I know that everyone hates this guy. I know this guy sucks. I know this guy should go back to New York. I know this guy should be impeached. Trust me, I know. I know this guy should resign. He has brought a lot of pain to a lot of people. But we still should all be free-thinking Americans and see what he has to say. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. I am probably going to be pissed off the majority of the address. I'm going to be rolling my eyes throughout 90% of the address. And I'm probably going to be chugging a lot of whiskey during the address. So that is what to expect from me during the State of the Union address on Tuesday. But there's a lot of things going on right now that we need to be paying attention to. The State of the Union is a huge address that I encourage every one of my listeners to watch and make notes. And we can you know, get into this big major political discussion on what you all thought about the um, State of the Union address. And also, all of my um, Twitter followers out there that listen, we will be going live at 8 o'clock Central. That's 9 o'clock Eastern, which is... About 6 o'clock Pacific time, we'll be going live on Twitter, and we're going to be streaming the State of the Union, and right after the State of the Union address, I am going to release a special State of the Union podcast episode to all of my amazing listeners, so get ready for that, but join me at 8 o'clock Central, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific and let's watch the State of the Union. Let's take some notes. And right afterwards, we will actually have a pretty good discussion on the State of the Union address. We'll be right back. And welcome back to everyone's second favorite segment of the week. This is This Week in Trump, where we talk about what is going on with our Orange Peel Commander-in-Chief. And, you know, normally we talk about, you know, the different shit that he does. But we're actually going to talk about one thing this week, and we're going to be talking about the INF. Now, many of you may have heard of the INF. For those who have never heard of the INF, I am going to give you all a history lesson on the INF. So, the INF is the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. That is a mouthful of words. 
It was a 1987 arms control agreement between the United States and the Soviet Union signed by President Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev of Russia in 1987. The treaty was approved by the United States Senate in 1988 and ratified of June of 1988. The INF Treaty eliminated all land-based ballistic and cruise missiles as well as their launchers with ranges of 500 or 310 to 620 miles, short range, short medium range, and 620 to 3,420 mile intermediate range missiles. The treaty did not cover air or sea launch missiles, but by 1991, 2,692 missiles were eliminated, followed by 10 years of on-site verification inspections. Citing the Russian non-compliance, citing Russian non-compliance, Trump announced that he was withdrawing the U.S. from the treaty. The U.S. will formally suspend the treaty. Well, we suspended the treaty on February 1st, and Russia also did that next day. So basically what this treaty does, it has eliminated almost 2,700 nuclear missiles from stockpiles. It is an agreement between Russia. This treaty is what ended the Cold War between the USSR and the United States. It eliminated missiles that can destroy from 310 all the way to 3,420 miles. These are these are heavy-duty nuclear missiles. And, wh- and according to the Trump administration, the reason why they got out is because Russia wasn't complying by it. Now, I made a post on, on uh, Twitter that night saying that it was a huge mistake. This has put us back into the Cold War without saying it. The Trump administration said on Friday that it was suspending one of the last major nuclear arms control treaties with Russia following five years of heated conversations over accusations by the United States that Moscow is violating the Rush, the Reagan-era agreement. This is all coming from the New York Times. The decision has the potential to incite a new arms race, not only with Russia, but also with China, which was never a, sign, which was never a signatory to the INF Treaty, widely known, or, yeah. It also comes as the United States has begun building its first long-range nuclear weapons since 1991, a move that other nations are signing to justify their own nuclear modernization efforts. So basically what we're doing is we're telling the world it's time to start stocking up again on nuclear missiles. We are probably about to enter the Cold War again. Now, if you don't see the danger in this, I think you're a fucking idiot. I really do. Because Russia is becoming what it once was, the USSR. That is... Vladimir Putin's uh, next achievement, he is going to throw Russia, China, and the U.S. back into nuclear chaos, and Trump is just a pawn in this plan. That That's what this is all about. But the moment that Trump eliminated this plan that Ronald Reagan busted his ass to get signed, um, it opened us up to disaster 
you got to think before the INF tree was signed, we were practicing drills week after week after week during the 60s, 70s, and 80s just in case if a nuclear missile was launched by Russia. We were seeing images on TV like the day after tomorrow and all these other 80s movies that came out that talked about you know nuclear annihilation because the U.S. and Russia got into you know, an argument and Russia decided to launch missiles to the United States and in return the U.S. launched our stockpile to Russia. Now, let me be clear. It is unclear if Trump plans to replace the INF or to renew another major treaty, which is called the, Star the New START Treaty, which drove American and Russian nuclear arsenals to lower their levels in nearly 60 years. That accords expires in 2021, just weeks after the next presidential inauguration. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the decision to suspend the accord, declaring that countries must be held accountable when they break the rules. We can no longer be restricted by the tr treaty while Russia shamelessly violates it. So it seems like they're trying to put some pressure on Russia because there's so much shit going on right now with the Russian investigation. So it's time to, you know, kind of put Russia, you know, in a negative light, even though we're not stupid, we know what Russia's been up to. Unless if you're, you know, one of those Trump supporters who, you know, watch Fox News and then, you know, I don't know what you believe. But Trump later said that I hope we're able to get everybody in a big, beautiful room and do a new treaty that would be much better. What a fucking dipshit. What a total idiot. The Russian government counter-accused the Trump administration of looking for any excuse to end the Cold War era agreement. There's just so much going on right now. Trump is going to get us all killed, probably. And what's even crazy, or even more crazy, or crazier... There's the right word. Is that every single day I wake up, I'm like, huh, we're not dead yet. In a series of public and private comments, the president and Trump administration officials have made it clear that they are seeking a new strategy that would revive the treaty, but only if all countries that now field such weapons are willing to curb or eliminate them. The current agreement applies only to Russia and the United States. So the good news is they are working on a new treaty. The bad news is they're probably not working on a brand new treaty. That would be an enormously ambitious task. It will require nuclear powers like China, India, Pakistan, Iran, North Korea to sign on to the same agreement, which I do not see Iran or North Korea signing it. I don't really see China um, signing on to it. India and Pakistan, I do see because they do rely heavily on U.S. assets. But China, Iran, North Korea... That's a huge toss-up right there. This is much tougher than negotiating a bilateral treaty between Russia and the United States, which still possesses by far the world's largest nuclear arsenals. While the administration has not yet formally announced any such effort, 
the range of officials pointed to language used by Trump at the Pentagon last month to embrace a new missile defense strategy. For too long, we have been held back by self-imposing limits while foreign competitors grow and they advanced more than we have over the years. Now, in a way, I kind of see what he's talking about here. Um, if you're following this story, just go to the New York Times and you can read it. Um, I ha I do see what he's talking about um, because, you know, we may be doing the right thing, but we don't know what Russia's doing. And it's true. Russia right now is going back to the days of the USSR. Russia is being secret with a lot of their things. It's because they have a dictator as president. I mean, the quote-unquote democracy of Russia, all that is is just a... All that is is just a cover-up. There's no democracy in Russia. How do I know this? Look at the reports of people that ran against Vladimir Putin that withdrew because Putin wanted them dead or tried to kill them. Just go read those reports. Go read the reports about voter intimidation in Russia. Vladimir Putin is a thug. He is a madman that needs to be called out on everything that he's doing. He needs to be called what he is. He is the dictator of Russia. Plain and simple. He's trying to go back to the days of Stalin, where Russia was nothing but a communist regime. He's trying to undo everything that Reagan and Gorbachev worked hard for which I wasn't a huge fan of Reagan. I still really are not. I'm really not a huge fan of Reagan, but the more I have done research on Reagan and wrote papers on Reagan, yeah, his presidency wasn't the best, but it, it was better than what we have right now. And right now the U.S. is building new warheads. Eventually, we're going to be completely transparent about weaponizing space. I'm pretty sure that they have weaponized space by now. Even though I think that there was an agreement saying that we could not weaponize space, but if you watch, every time they're sending a top-secret rocket up, I swear to God that these are nuclear warheads on these rockets. But then again, you know, I'm just speculating I am just speculating, but it would not surprise me if there was studies that has been done and educated papers that have been written saying that a lot of these rockets have carried nuclear weapons to space. One thing is clear. If a new arms race begins, it will be extremely expensive. Now, while the make over of America's aging nuclear arsenal and laboratories began during the Obama administration. The ambitious to remake the U.S. nuclear capabilities have accelerated under Donald Trump. How much do you ask? How much could this cost? Well, the CBO did a study. They put some numbers together. And this month, they say that the cost of nuclear upgrades has increased to $494 billion or 87 times the amount Trump is seeking for his border wall. Over the next 30 years, get this, the
the estimate is $1.2 trillion. All of y'all bitching about how much debt we're in, think about we're going to go another trillion dollars into debt over the next 30 years. The move that happened to suspend the INF will end the INF, which was once considered a gold standard of arms control agreements. So let's just put this back into a retrospect for a second. Right now, or before today, we had a treaty that ended the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia. Vladimir Putin has been doing shit behind the scenes that are extremely sketchy, which causes us to back out the INF Treaty, which also caused them to back out the INF Treaty. And we are headed right back into another Cold War. The question now is whether the United States will begin to deploy new weapons to counter China's efforts to cement a dominant position in the Western Pacific and keep American aircraft carriers at bay. Much of Beijing's growing arsenal currently consists of missiles that fall into the ranges of land-based missiles able to fly 300 to 3,400 miles that are prohibited by the treaty. And why do they do it? Because Russia, but because China was not part of the INF agreement. If Russia was part of the INF agreement, or if China was part of the INF agreement, then we wouldn't have as many problems that we're having. But because China does not have was not part of the INF agreement, they have been developing weapons for a long, long time. Now. China was still a small and unsophisticated military power when President Reagan and Gorbachev negotiated the INF Treaty. NATO said that Russia was fully responsible for the breach of the treaty. Now, there's a lot of statistics on this report, and if you want to read, just go to the New York Times and look at it. I mean, it, you know, there's actually a pretty cool article about how many nuclear weapons are currently on standby around the world that are in inventories. I mean, right now, the United States has, let's see, 1,750 missiles that are deployed. There are 2,050 other nuclear warheads warheads in stockpile. Russia has 1,600 that are deployed, but they have more weapons in their stockpile. France has 300. China has 280. The UK has 215. Pakistan has 150. India has 140. Israel has 80. And North Korea has 20. But what does that do without the INF? You're going to see the numbers that Russia right now has 68 over, over 6,800 nuclear weapons. You're going to see that probably rise over 10,000 within the next two years. And the U.S. that has around 6,400 nuclear weapons, you're going to see that stockpile rise to at least 10,000 over the next couple of years. 
we're going to be getting ready for a nuclear war. This is exactly what this means. Now, I could be just being overdramatic. I could be just worried about nothing. But I don't want to go back to the days that we were always fearing that we were going to get blown up any day. So that's the main story for what's been going on within the Trump administration. Um, some little stories. You know, he's been getting ready for the State of the Union address that goes on on Tuesday. Um, he has been getting ready or, you know, with another shutdown looming on February 15th. Um, his current, you know, all of his Twitter fiascos. I mean, the reason why I got a Twitter at the very beginning was just to read what the hell he was saying. And now it's just, it went from being comedic to actually pretty sad. I literally woke up the other day. I opened my Twitter feed. And before I even checked my notifications, he released from the time I went to bed to the time I woke up, he released like 15 tweets that night. I'm like, what the hell does he do all night? Is he up all night just tweeting random bullshit? I mean, hell, a lot of his damn Trump's, a lot of his damn supporters don't even get on Twitter. But you know what? He is definitely a man that knows how to control the news cycle. We'll be right back. And welcome back to my final segment or my favorite segment, which is final thoughts with Steve, where, you know, this is that that final segment where we can kind of lower our blood pressure a little bit. I mean, my glass of whiskey is pretty much gone right now. I might have maybe a little sip left in that glass. Um, but this is that time in our weekly show where we kind of dial it down a notch and kind of get our blood pressure back to healthy levels, kind of get our heart rhythm down because, you know, as you can tell, if you have survived almost an hour of this podcast with me, you can tell that my blood pressure does go up when I'm, you know, giving, um, when I'm talking about the stories that's going on within the political world. Um, so this week's final thoughts is going to piggyback a little bit on last week. Um, last week's final thoughts was, or, was it last week's final thoughts or it was, it was a story last week where we talked about, um, that we, yeah, yeah. final Yeah. Last week we talked about racism and we talked about what, you know, how we need to stop raising our kids to be little assholes and we need to stop teaching racism at home. And I figured, you know, how about we, um, continue that discussion. So, Throughout the week, um, I read a lot of um, interesting papers regarding racism in the United States and ways that we can resolve the racial gap that is continuing to build during the era of the Trump administration. Now, racism existed before Trump. But now it's like racists have you know been given the okay that you know it's okay to come out and say I'm a racist. And this hatred is 
pouring out from from this asinine theory that one race is better than the other and i think that we live in an age now that it's time to get rid of this i think that our generation my son's generation my niece and nephew's generations we are the we're not the ultimate cure but i think since this the generation that i belong to is one of the most opinionated generations to ever exist i think that we are finally talking about this and trying to find ways within our communities to bridge the gap that has divided us for so long. Now, racism has existed since the colonial era. That is a long, long time. Um, Americans saw when Barack Obama became the first African-American president of the United States as a sign that the nation has entered a new post-racial era. Um, however, with the election of Trump, it has been viewed by some people as a racist backlash against the election of Barack Obama. Um, during the 2010s, American society continues to experience high levels of racism and discrimination. One new phenomenon has been the rise of the alt-right movement, a white nationalist coalition that seeks the expulsion of sexual and racial minorities from the United States. Now, when it comes to racism... I teach my child that he is no better than anybody else. He should never hate anybody at all. I am ingraining that into his head that I want him to be that different kid who, you know, sits by the kid who never has anyone to eat lunch with. Um, be the kid who's always willing to help someone regardless of their economic situation. Regardless of that person is black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. I am teaching him that we are all human beings. We need to stop looking with each to each other as a race, but more as or as colors, but more as, you know, we are human beings. We need to treat each other with respect. We need to stop being so hateful towards one another. That is what I teach my son on a daily basis. And it always makes me feel good when I see him playing with his friends because he, he has a melting pot of friends. You know, he has friends from every single background. And, you know, I've you know seen him play during the afternoons or, you know, when I pick him up from school, he is, you know, he's around all of his friends and they're laughing and everything. And, you know, he'd, you know, get in the car and tell me about a kid that he met that day that he helped. And, you know, it makes me feel good as a parent knowing that my child, you know, he is, you know, just, 
he is a good human being and that I'm raising him to be a good human being. However, there are still parents out there who are teaching their kid that, well, just because he's black or just because he's, you know, his parents are from another country, you should, you should treat them differently than, you know, you treat white people. Now, I'm not going to deny that there is a such thing as white privilege. Having a lot of friends that are involved in the judicial system, I have a couple that are lawyers that I, I went to college with that I still speak you know, on a regular basis to, they become astonished how if you have a white criminal and a black criminal going before a judge with the same charges, the white criminal is going to get a lesser sentence than the black criminal. And they say, well, this is this is one of the major problems within the judicial system is, you know, we may say that, you know, everything is integrated. We don't look at anything as a race related problem. The, those problems still exist within our judicial system. And it still exists in our economic system. I mean, hell. If I drove around my neighborhood, I can tell you which neighborhood was majorly white and what neighborhoods were majorly black. And I strongly believe in systematic racism. I am a huge believer in systematic racism. I think that it exists. If you don't believe me, go look at the projects around your hometowns. There's a way to make a slave a slave without making him a slave. It's just that simple. It's time to break the bonds of racism. Yeah, I know the argument. A white guy is telling us to stop being racist. Well, this white guy was raised right. This white guy was raised to know that you do not judge someone because of what they look like. You shouldn't even judge anybody, period. Or that's what my faith has taught me. But it's time to go and teach our kids to stop being arrogant, ignorant little shits. We all have a responsibility to each other as human beings to spread kindness, to do simple acts of kindness. It does not kill you to be kind to somebody. It does not make you feel any less than a man to help a fellow human being when they are down in the dumps. It does not make you any less of a person. In fact, it makes you better. One of my great joys is helping somebody. Someone I never knew. There was, when I worked in politics, I was always, I had this, this goal that every single day I wanted to help somebody. And every single day I helped someone. Now, sometimes I helped them, you know, with something small, like, you know, picking up litter or, you know, just hearing their problems 
just being, you know, an ear for, because a lot of people just want someone to listen to them. But that time I worked in city government, I fully understood what being a public citizen is. And I was always happy to help somebody, regardless if they were black, white, if they were legal, not legal. They need help. I was there to help them. And that's exactly what I teach my son. That's exactly what I do my absolute best to teach my niece and my nephews, all the younger generation that we need to be better than what the previous generations were. We need to find ways of helping people and loving people and finding solutions to problems. This is what's going to make us better as a society. Now, my brother and I had some interesting conversations a while back. And you know, we need to, you know, focus a lot on education. We need to put more money into education. Maybe that will help with what's going on. That may help with the subject of racism, putting community centers in every single community, putting more police departments in many of these communities. I can tell you right now that a community that I currently live beside, I have maybe seen two cops in my life and they are majorly ran or that city is being ran down by crime and drugs. But where's a cop when you need them? And it's because their police department is so underfunded, they cannot afford police officers. The police officers that are there are the ones that don't want to be there. Their mayor is corrupted. Their city council is corrupted. Their city is corrupted. So therefore, they don't have, they don't have any way of getting any help. And in return, that crime spills over to the other cities. This is a community problem when it comes to crime. But defeating racism within the next three or four generations, that is a community effort as well. We need to become more educated. We need to become more sympathetic towards people. We need to be better listeners. We need to be better people. The days of Jim Crow is over. But for some people, those days still continue. I always say towards the end of my segments that we need to be better human beings. So let's be better human beings. Let's work hard to end systematic racism and racism in general. Let's better understand our neighbors. Let's help each other. And let's just be better people. It is as simple as that. And that will conclude this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. Just a few friendly reminders. If you are not a follower of us on Twitter, make sure you go to twitter.com slash official PTWSTEV. That is twitter.com slash official PTWSTEV. That is our Twitter page. We will be live Tuesday night. At 8 o'clock Central Time, we will be streaming the State of the Union Address on Twitter. And I think that we're also going to get a Twitch account as well, so we can actually um, stream on Twitch, which is pretty cool. 
because um, we don't, you know, we just do, you know, voice stuff. We don't do actual videos, but, you know, it would be great to um, watch the State of the Union address and to talk about what's going on on Tuesday night. So we are going to be talking about the State of the Union. And that happens at eight o'clock central time on Tuesday night. Um, let's see what else, what else? Oh, we're still working on a Facebook page. We had a Facebook page, but it was, it was deleted because no one ever used it and it was just a waste of time, but we may put together a Facebook page and we're probably going to start putting together a page on Instagram as well. So, you know, you can always, you know, find us, um, also, we will be at PodX. It is a huge podcasting convention in Nashville, Tennessee that happens the last weekend of May into June. We will be there in Nashville, Tennessee. We cannot wait to meet everybody in Nashville. We are super excited about going to PodX this year and you know being able to talk with other podcasts and maybe forge, forge a lot of a uh, new friendships. I know I am looking forward to seeing a lot of podcast friends of mine that I'm always in touch with. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be a fun weekend in Nashville. So make sure you go to uh, podx.com or yeah, I think it's podx.com and, um, go ahead and order your tickets. If you're going to be in the Nashville area and, uh, just come by and see us. Um, we will have t-shirts available. Um, hopefully, hopefully, um, I know I'll have one on, um, but yeah, um, also, um, we are doing really awesome on Twitter. Our followers are constantly, um, people are constantly following us right now. We are over 1500. We're trying to reach that 2000 mark, um, by the end of February. So if you have friends who like our podcast, tell them to go on Twitter and hit that follow button. We do follow back. Um, also if you like to become a sponsor, of our, um, if you'd like to be a sponsor of our show, make sure you go to our anchor page. That's anchor.com slash political T W S T E V E, I think. Or when you get our anchor, or um, just Google search political thoughts with Steve on anchor, and it will go directly to our uh, anchor page. And you can click that donate button. You can give as little as a dollar all the way up to, I think, 10 or $20. And you can also become a sponsor and we would love to have sponsors. We are looking for more sponsors as well. We're grateful for anchor and we're grateful for Flipbook. That is our current sponsors, but we are always looking for new sponsors on this show. So if you want to sponsor us, send us a message or go to anchor.fm and search us and click that donate button. And, um, you know, just send us a message. Let us know that you are interested in sponsoring us and we'll be more than happy to have you as a sponsor. So, all that good slap jack crack like So that is going to be it for our show this week. Remember to thank a veteran, thank a service member, tell them that you love them, tell them that you support them, be better to each other. Let's be better human beings. Let's just be better. So that's going to be it for this week's edition of Political Thoughts with Steve, and I will talk to everyone next week.